All right, so let's let's uh, turn. And I've got a. Let's turn to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. And verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Verse 3, or chapter 3, rather. Verse 16. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art. And dust shalt thou return. Alright, so today we're going to start talking about the problem of evil. The problem of evil. Uh, this is this is a problem in the sense that we're dealing with God's righteousness, and I want to kind of formulate this for you. There was a notable atheist. John Stuart Mill, I, I don't know if he's mu- as much an atheist as just agnostic. Uh, he formulated what is currently known as the problem of evil that many atheists have since come to believe is a knockdown, drag out argument against the existence of God. And, my, and since we're dealing with God's moral attributes about his righteousness, uh, they believe that this is our Achilles heel. The Christian's belief in the reality of evil, they say, is a contradiction to our faith. What is the problem of evil as stated first, probably more, most coherently by John Stuart Mill and used by famous atheists like Bertrand Russell, uh, even famous athe- current atheists like Richard Dawkins uh, and others. It is simply this. If this is premise number one, I got to. If God is omnipotent. He could prevent evil. 
and there's different ways of saying this, but this is probably the most popular. He could prevent evil. Okay? Premise one. Premise two. If God is good, he would want to. All right. Premise three. Evil exists. Therefore, what do you think the conclusion of this, of John Stuart Mill is? Therefore, ultimately they just say God does not exist. There's a step there, but I'm running out of room. The step is simply this. Therefore, either God is not all-powerful or God is not all-good. And since Christians say that God is both all-powerful and all-good, the God that Christians believe in does not exist. Wipe their hands. They drop their mic. They walk away thinking they have destroyed our faith. And in all honesty... Uh, it's difficult, ain't it? Well, how do you all feel about that as you, as you look at the problem of evil? Exactly, exactly. We're going to get... The Bible's... Uh, you're, you're, the Bible is the answer to evil, to the problem of evil. Um, I was listening to... Uh, I was listening to... Um, A, a book, and I forgot his name, and I'm trying to come up with a name, but he was saying, all right, how many, time, how many words are there for sin, and how often do they appear in the Bible? Okay, but that's just the words for sin, for, for sin itself. How many word, synonyms are there? Well, there's transgression, there's, there, there's this, there's that, there's all these different words for sin, and then there's words for righteousness, there's, there, there's words for evil, there's words to, for, for calamities that happen, there's curses, there's all. How much does the Bible spend to talking about evil? Well, everything from chapter 3 on is all about the entrance of evil and God's remedy for it. So, if those are to say that the Bible doesn't answer the problem of evil or the Christian faith does not answer the problem of evil is to ignore that from Genesis to Revelation that's what the entire thing is about. God's answer to the problem of evil. But let, let's look at this and I went over this with the 11th graders. I even went over this with a group of 7th graders and we could see that there's problems of this. Is there more about God than him being omnipotent and him being good? Is there something else that has been left out of this? If God is omnipotent, he could prevent evil. If God is good, he would want to. Evil exists, therefore God doesn't exist. Uh, is, is there something they're leaving out? Like maybe God is all wise. 
And maybe an all-wise God has a reason to allow evil for a certain amount of time or something to that effect. That, God, that an all-wise God may have a greater purpose than you and I. In fact, the person who's making this argument is claiming to be, omnipotent, or claiming to be omniscient because they know an all-wise God could not have a reason for allowing evil. So it's, it's really what you, what you would call a, a false dilemma. This is this is a this is a uh, an error in logic. Uh, it creates a false dilemma, and since the premises give you that false dilemma with no choices outside of that, they are free to conclude something that is an error. So that is the famous problem of evil, as stated first by John Stuart Mill, the philosopher, the utilitarian philosopher, and picked up by many atheists since, and they believe this to be a knockdown drag out when all it is is just logical fallacy. There is more that we believe about God than God is omnipotent and God is all good. We believe God is all wise as well and may have purposes beyond our comprehension for allowing me and you to go through whatever it is we're going through. So I want to try to address the problem of evil, but this is kind of the elephant in the room this is what you're going to run into on facebook or uh you have your facebook theologians and (laughs) and uh everything else and they're gonna they're gonna drag out what they believe to be their arguments for their unbelief now this is the logical problem of evil and the reason why this is so effective is is because there is another aspect to this problem and that is the emotional problem of evil. What's the very first thing that happens when you stub your toe at night? Well, I mean, other than you letting loose of some colorful language or something like that. Well, or something bad happens, what's the very first thing you say? What? Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, joy. We were kind of talking about this texting, Rocky and I, yesterday uh, uh, a little bit. I mean, we didn't trade a lot of texts. But, but the very first thing we ask is, why? Why is this happening? And the emotional problem of evil is, well, first of all, we know there is a reason. We know that this logical syllogism is not, doesn't answer anything and it doesn't help anybody. Because we believe in our hearts there is a reason why it is happening. That's, the very, that's why we, the very first question we ask when suffering comes is why is this happening? We believe in our heart that there must be a reason. But that reason is not always accessible, is it? Uh, Job, we were talking about Job yesterday. Uh, Job, uh, we had the benefit when we read the book of Job to know what was going on in the background. Job didn't. Job didn't know what was going on in the first chapter as, as uh, the accuser of the brethren came before God and says, You're only, he's only worshiping you because you keep blessing him. If you stop blessing him, he'll start wor- stop worshiping you. We don't know that. We don't know the spiritual warfare that was going on in the background. Job was just praying for his kids and taking care of everything and, and doing this and doing that. And, and uh, 
here comes the messengers. Your sheep are, your sheep are stolen, and I'm the only servant left. Your, your goods are taken away. Uh, your, the, the Sabians have fallen. Uh, the wind has destroyed the house of your children, and they're dead, and all the servants, and I'm the only one left. And we don't see the background. He didn't see the background. He didn't know why, right? He had no reason to believe, no. But he still sat down and said, Naked came I into the womb, naked will I leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. He trusted his God. Even, even when his health was taken away, where, the, where again the unknown spiritual warfare behind the scenes was taking place, he did not know, he did not understand that any of this was going on. His health is taken away. His wife is standing there telling him to curse God and die. And he still maintains his integrity. Did he ever get any answers in the book of Job? You want to know why? Because you and I rarely get answers too. (laughs) We don't. We, We get friends that all, him and his friends all maintain that there was a reason. There has to be a reason that this is happening. Imagine if the atheists are right, and this syllogism is true, which it can't be. It's a logical fallacy. What are they saying at the end? There is no reason. All you're going through is purposeless. Are you comforted? (laughs) You feel better? Of course you don't. (laughs) You don't feel better, someone's saying. That thing that you're going through is all pointless. They're getting rid of But them, by their idiocy, and I say that because it's obviously a logical fallacy. Um, take away the only comfort that anyone can ever have. The fr- Why is it a, such a logically fallacious argument so powerful, though? It's powerful because we all feel it. I remember C.S. Lewis writing in his book, The Problem Pain. And uh, he was waxing eloquent about all the reasons God has for allowing there to be suffering and all the reasons, all the good that can come from suffering. And he finally got to the end of the chapter and he says, I would write more about suffering, but I have a toothache. (laughs) That little toothache stopped him from, from continuing to wax eloquent about God's reasons for suffering. And and there's, that's probably one of the most brilliant moments in all of C.S. Lewis's books. Um, we all feel that, right? We, 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 all, we all suffer. We all go, we're all going through things. We're, we're, we're all losing things. And, and, and things are passing away. Things are breaking down. This tragedy is happening. That tragedy is happening. And we're asking why, and there's no real answer. There's no tangible answer. In fact, in Job, God finally spoke, didn't he? Did God give any answers? (laughs) No, he gave a bunch of questions. Four, four, Four chapters full of questions. God said, stand up, and I'm going to ask you a few things. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Can you contend with this beast or that beast? And he gives all these questions. And not one answer. Well, there was an answer, but it's, not, it's so subtle that 
the average reader of Job is left right, left wondering, what's the purpose of all this? The purpose is, is there's a great God who is in control of all things, and he has a reason. And he's to be worshipped no matter what. So the problem of evil has a logical we're not as we're not as fearful as the logical component but we do need answers sometimes we need to need to answer that why that emotional question because uh, it does have an emotional component we all we all wish we had an answer that is not always forthcoming and it's not always there in that specific circumstance um Tina's not here today, but her family recently lost everything in the flood. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you say to them when you're sitting there? I mean, if, if they ask, why is this happening, what are you going to say? Well, Job's friends, they had some reasons, right? This has happened, Job, because you're such a terrible person. And, you, and if you would just repent of your sins, God would start blessing you. I mean, they were the very first advocates of the prosperity gospel, that, uh, that if you have enough faith, man, you're, you sh- this, these things should not be happening to you. Um, if you were really right with God, they wouldn't. That, that, that's no answer. But what do you say to the people there? Yeah. You know, the, the best thing that Job's friends did is they sat there for seven days and didn't say a word. <laughs> That's the best thing that they did, right? So, there, we're, we're going to have to talk about this problem of evil, and we're gonna, I'm introducing it this week, and, and my goodness, it's already 23 after. Uh, and what were you going to say I interrupted? Uh-huh. Yeah, they counted it themselves blessed to suffer for the word of God. I think of that man born blind. They asked him the question, uh, why was this man born blind? Um, was it his sin or the sin of his parents? Kind of a reincarnation idea, you know, got this karma law of karma thing going and he must have lived a past life and been really sinful and therefore he was born blind or his parents were just so sinful they were punished with this blind son what was Jesus answer neither but for the glory of God that's a hard leap for us ain't it and it's hard to communicate that and it's also hard at the middle of the night when you're stubbing your toe and and everything else to be able to articulate such a thing so there's the emotional problem that's the greater problem that's the greater thing that has an answer because we all feel it we all feel the agony of it and we all when we're asking the question why um, don't have that forthcoming answer Um, the providence that I think frame has already said here in his in his, uh, when we're talking about providence, providence is something that we read like Hebrew. We read it backwards. Um, it's uh, we we know after the fact. Oh, now I understand. But rarely, if ever, 
are we able to read it forward and say this is happening in order that this may be the outcome? We trust. We trust in our Lord. One thing's for sure, we do believe that God is omnipotent. Right? We believe God is all-powerful. That's why we're here. That's why we're breathing. That's why we have a being, have being and everything else like that. Yes. Amen. He's the all-seeing and all. And that's what they left out of their syllogism, ain't it? <laughs> that, but that our God sees. That was the lesson of, uh, that was the lesson of, can't come up with her name, uh, uh, Sarah's servant that had Ishmael. What's her name? Hagar. Hagar, uh, my God sees. The Lord sees. Yeah. Uh, but where, where was I going? We, we do believe he's omnipotent. We do believe he's in control. We do believe he's good. And what does Romans 8.28 say? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we believe that this all-powerful God is working good in his wisdom in all things. And what does that all things include? It includes me stubbing my toe in the middle of the night, right? It, it, it includes the earthquakes, the disasters, the tsunamis, the starving. It includes all the things, right? Everything. There is two different kinds of evil that we have to account for. And I don't have a thing to erase. You're just going to have to stare at that syllogism, I guess. There is what we would call natural evil. Natural evil is those things that I just mentioned, the, you know, the earthquakes, the floods, uh, the high winds blowing off people's roofs and things of that nature. We had some of that in the last few days. Um, those na- the natural evils, famines. And then there is what we would call moral evil. Moral evil. What is moral evil? That's the choices you and, I, you and me make, right? Um, like when I was a kid, I chose to, uh, I, no, I, I, you know, you, it's weird <laughs> that you, you uh, the things you grow up to regret <laughs> and they just stick in your mind. I remember going to a birthday party and making fun of this boy and constantly he, he had, a, uh, he had a, uh, a nickname and I kept calling him from something else. And, and, uh, and I made that boy feel so bad. And to this day, I still regret it. I was like, man, I, 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 I really made that guy feel bad. Or I remember and, and and uh, I'm glad Jeremy doesn't remember, but mem- mem- you all remember Jeremy Barker. I remember pushing him down. He was much smaller than me now. He's much bigger than I mean. He's much smaller. He was much smaller then. But I shoved him down on the gravel, and he skidded in the gravel and scraped himself up. Yeah, I might have been 12 years old, and he might have been like 10, 
right now he's like, I got to look up to him like this, so I'm glad he has forgotten about it. But those little things you regret, like why did I inflict that on them? Why did I call them names? Why did I hurt them? That, that, that's moral evil. Um, moral evil is like uh, the Holocaust. Um, and I don't think we have a real grasp of how morally evil people are. Um, anybody ever heard of the, the Milgram experiment? Okay, this is where they, they were shocked. They were shocked by the, this, this is in a Western world. This is like made back in the 70s from Stanford University, made the study. And they had, they would bring one, two people in. One of them was an actor who would always end up being the subject instead of the teacher. Uh, and uh, the actor would always end up at the flip of a coin losing and becoming the, uh, becoming the uh, subject instead of the teacher. So, and then they would hook, hook up these electrodes to the, to the subject, and they would ask the teacher to teach. And they were said they were giving some, some odd thing where they were trying to see if, uh, if anxiety would affect memory or something like that. And so every time they got a wrong answer, they would have to uh, hit the button and give the subject a shock. And then they had this long thing uh, this, this where, where it started out like 40 watts, and they went up to like... Uh, triple X, danger, danger, danger signs all over it. And they said they would, every time they would get something wrong, they'd have to turn the switch up and give them and an administer another shock. And I think it was something like 70% of the people went all the way to the triple X and administered what they believed to be possibly fatal shots, shocks. Say, well, if we, if we would have been the people living in Germany in the 30s we wouldn't have been those probably we probably would have we're pretty, we're all pretty evil uh in fact uh, this book i was been reading on the evils he made the comment he says he says we look at things like genocide and we we we, we say that they're inhumane but they're very human they're what humans do um what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, you're the ones that garner the, you garner the uh, graves of the prophets. And you say, well, if we would have lived in our father's days, we would not have killed our prophets. All the while, they were going about to kill Jesus. <laughs> right? We're pretty evil. What, what, is, what, what, what does it say? There is none good, no, not one. There is a reality of evil. There's not just a reality that, that, that the uh, ground is bringing forth uh, thorns and thistles, and we're earning bread by the sweat of our brow. There's sorrow in raising children. There's sorrow in doing these things. All the things that we just read there in Genesis about the advent of evil. But what preceded that was moral evil. Why is there evil in the world? Sin. Uh, I'm not, I, I, know, I know not everybody would be a big fan of G.K. Chesterton, but he wrote, he, uh, in a moment of brilliance, he said, uh, he, uh, he uh, answered in a letter to the editor, he said, uh, dear such and such, dear editor, 
regarding your story on what's wrong, what is wrong with this world, I am. <laughs> Signed, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, we're sinners. And believe it or not, uh, Adam was our perfect representative. Right? God chose the possible best among us, the most able, and put that person in a perfect environment, and that person chose to disobey God. And if it was you, I know we make cracks and wise cracks. Oh, well, if I was, I was, <laughs> thank you, Adam, for this. <laughs> but if I was him, I wouldn't have done it. Well, you've done it. You've done it a thousand times over. And so have I. I mean, I always tell you the story, the very, first, my, the very first sin I remember. And I'm not even sure if it was the first that I remember. I remember chopping up Grandpa's tobacco sticks when I knew, knew that he didn't want me to me, Teresa, and Brian out there in a building taking a hatchet to his bed. But the very first thing I remember is, you all know the story, I get, I, get these cur- I, I get these scissors and cut up Grandma's curtains. And then when she asked me, did you do this, I said, no, you all, you all have experienced this before, huh? You, of course you did. We're morally evil. We all have a sin problem. And if left to my own devices, if there wasn't any kind of goodness of God in preventing me to go, where would I be? There's a sin problem. So there's natural evil. That's really, even when we're talking about natural evil, you go back to Hurricane Katrina, right? Hurricane Katrina was awful, you know. But you know what really made Hurricane Katrina bad? people. It wasn't the floods. It wasn't the hurricanes. It was evil people dwelling with other evil people in the Superdome. <laughs> it was evil, pe- evil politicians who made a choice to save the landmarks and allow a lot of people to drown. It was evil people that caused suffering, kept vital needs from getting from the people who ciphered off money instead of having that money. It was evil people that caused more suffering than the hurricane did. And that's really the greater problem. So we talk about the fact that God's going, God, God has an answer to the. In fact, the entire Bible is an answer to the problem of evil. We're introduced with, we're introduced with a good creation. We're introduced with sin in the third chapter of the Bible, and from that point on to the very end of the chapter, or to the very end of the book, he's answering the problem of evil. Well, what's God, gonna, what's God doing about this? Well, read, <laughs> read the scriptures. He revealed himself. He chose out a people for himself. He brought forth the Messiah into the world. That Messiah took sin upon him, your sin and my sin, and he justly died in our place And one day there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And all tears are going to be wiped away. There is an answer. We have an answer. We have comfort. No one's going to to be laying on their deathbed saying, someone bring me out that syllogism. You know that one about suffering. And they're going to be saying, will you read Psalm 23 to me? Right? 
that they will because this is where the answer is. Scripture gives us an explicit answer to the problem of natural evil. Natural evil has a purpose. Where did natural evil come from? Where did, where did uh, physical death come from? Where did, uh, for the world of men, that is, where did physical death come from? Where did, uh, where did uh, aging and growing old and dying and, and, and breaking down and, and uh, where did sorrow and, 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 and toil come from? Where all this natural evil come from? It came from the product of our sin. So it has a... And what does the answer to the scriptures say? One day, this is allowed to continue for a time, but one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. There's an answer to natural evil. There's an answer that, that in Psalm... Uh, not Psalm 8, but Romans 8, where he says the creature is currently groaning and it's waiting for What? For the manifestation of the sons of God. Because the creature is made subject to vanity just like you and I. But one day that will all be taken away. And creation itself will be redeemed. You don't have, you don't have an answer from this syllogism. What do you have? You have darkness. That's all you have. All right, let's, let's say that this is so logical and so true and, and, the, and the conclusion is perfectly there. What do you have? You have a universe with blind, pitiless indifference to everything that you're going through. That one day is going to die a heat death. Not you, the universe. (laughs) It's all going to die. That's not an answer. But the scriptures give an answer. The scriptures have an answer to natural evil. The scriptures have an answer to moral evil. It's called the propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was first pictured there when man sinned and they saw the shame of their sin. They were trying to cover up the shame of their sin. They were hiding because of the shame of their sin and God clothed them how? With animal skins. The shedding of blood. Then we have Cain and Abel. Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice. What was the acceptable sacrifice? The lamb. The blood. A substitute. The day you sin, you're going to die. Abel brings brings something to the offering to the altar to die, and it wasn't him. It was something else in his place. The Passover lamb, the day of atonement, the propitiatory sacrifices all throughout that they had to offer again and again because those weren't it. Until John the Baptist pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. There's an answer to moral evil. It's it's the greatest answer that we can give. God has a purpose. An all-wise God, that's what they left out of the syllogism, right? An all-wise God has a purpose. Do you know what he's doing? He's reconciling us to himself. He's reconciling the world to himself. He's reconciling all of creation to himself. You you, You set aside the scriptures, you don't have an answer. Well, there's answers that people try to give. 
But once you set aside the scriptural theism, the God of the scriptures, you don't have an answer. So we're going to try to start answering that in the next few weeks. And we're going to do so by upholding who God is. God is this omnipotent, all-good God. We're not going to deny those. We're not going to say, well, God... You know, there are people out there that say, well, God really wants to, but he just can't help you. He's a good God, and the stuff that's happening is because he just doesn't have... He's not all-powerful. Or, or you get into this open theism. God just doesn't know what's going to happen, and he's just as surprised as, as you are. <laughs> That's not the God of the Scriptures. We start with the God of the Scriptures. He's omnipotent, he's all-wise, he's all-good. Now, how do we answer the problem? So, there, there are those that try to answer the, the, the problem various ways, but we will start with the God as he has declared himself in the Scriptures. There are three things, and we're going to have to quit before the second hour here, but um, there are three things... Uh, ways of answering the problem of evil by focusing on the nature of evil. Uh, we'll do that next week, and then the following week or two we'll spend on the other two. Uh, ways in which evil contributes to the overall good. All things work together for good. That includes some evil things, such as uh, the, them wickedly taking Christ and crucifying him on a tree. I'm glad that happened. I'm not glad that they are they they committed this this uh, this crime, and and I could see the evil of what they did. But I'm glad Jesus died. Some evil things brought that about. So there's ways in which evil contributes to good, and ultimately, in all things, to those who love God, they do. All things do work together for good to them that love God. So. Next week we're going to deal with uh, focusing on what the nature of evil is. After that we're going to talk about uh, ways in which evil contributes to the good and then on God's agency in regards to evil. Uh, we're going to have to deal with this little thing that God said to Micah. I don't have it right before me. I think he said to Micah. He says, says well, I know he says it in Micah. He says, if there's evil in the city, he goes, has God not done it? Uh, or I, or Isaiah, that's who it says. I, Isaiah says, I, I create light and I create darkness. I create good and I create evil. What, what, what do you mean by passages like that? How, 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 do, how, do we, how do we maintain a good God that allows bad things? Not just allows bad things, but has actively chosen to bring bad things, what you and I could consider bad things apart. How, does that, how do we reconcile those things? And I hope you all will learn a lot. I know I'm excited about going, here, going through uh, some of the notes here. Um, John Frame's already cha challenged me on one idea that I believe I might have been holding mistakenly as I tried to answer this, uh, answer the problem of evil before. Uh, so I pray that you all will have some, have some have, will be able to gain some things from this. Any questions, complaints, or grievances?
Yes, sir. Three. The missionary? Amen. Well, one thing's for sure, he will be glorified in it all. And we're going to, providence, like I said, is something that's read, like Hebrew is read backwards. We're going to see it in hindsight more than we see it in foresight. In fact, we'll rarely see it in foresight. We'll rarely say, okay, this is happening, so that will happen, and that will happen. But when it's all said and done, we're going to look back and say, God really did do everything well. He did. Or as many people, or if you're a good Calvinist, as many people as he's chosen to do so. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other questions or complaints or grievances? No grievances? All right. All right, we got ten minutes before the next hour. <laughs>